0: The Athletic. Totally Football Show today. Arsenal stand proudly out in front, like Tony Adams nips on Strictly after 3-2 win over Liverpool. We ask who looks more deadly in the boxes, Arsenal or Tony Adams? Uh, we talk Newcastle, one year on, and Alan Moron. Bournemouth from cherry bombs to cherry blossom. The Euro draw and more in this Totally Football Show. Bang. Hello there, listener. On this uh, Monday, the tenth of October, twenty twenty-two, we're joined on the Totally Show by Daniel Story. Morning, James. Indeed. Jay Harris is with us as well. Hi, Jay. Hey, James. And woo from ESBN oh. Brazil. Brazil.
1: Brazil.
0: Natalie Jedra, welcome back, Natalie.
1: Bon dia.
0: Mm, indeed, so. Whatever the heck that means. <laughs> You've all been busy. Far and wide around this uh, Premier League match day 10, which is actually nine in brackets. Felt like a, a weekend rich in significance, what with Arsenal doing Liverpool at the Emirates, Cristiano setting records, the Euro draw, Wrexham seven, Barnet five. So much going on, Jay.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously I spent the vast majority of my weekend travelling back and forth from Newcastle. So unfortunately Good. I was a little bit limited in in what other games I did see, but I made time oh. to uh, to watch Arsenal play Liverpool on a phone in the back of a car, travelling down the motorway from Newcastle, and uh, I'm very glad I went to all that effort to watch it.
0: Magnificent! Well, of course, we got Daniel, who was there, will be able to explain more about that. What did you? What excuses do you want to get in early, Daniel? <laughs>
3: no, no excuses this week for me.
0: All right, no excuses for Daniel and Natalie. You were off uh, at the special late night Sunday evening affair.
1: So that's my excuse. Everton, Man United. Boom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well. We're going to hear about more of all of those games and probably others too. Match day 10. The big match was Arsenal-Liverpool. Arsenal laying down a marker and regularly skipping past Liverpool's in a 3-2 victory. Elsewhere, big wins for Newcastle. 5-1 against Brentford. And Man City, 4-0 against Saints. City's goal difference of plus 24 is more than any other team in the league's goals total. Palace came from behind to beat Leeds 2-1 and Bournemouth did the same against Leicester. The Cherries are now 8th. Chelsea beat Wolves 3 0. West Ham beat Fulham 3 1. There was just the one goal for Spurs at Brighton. And in the late, late game Sunday, Man United won 3 1 at Everton. Cristiano Ronaldo off the bench to score his 700th career club goal. United are now fifth in the Premier League, one point behind Chelsea in the top four. Newcastle are sixth, one point behind Man United. Liverpool, 10th, and only in the top half on goal difference. Hmm. Wolves, Leicester and Forest are your bottom three. Forest, though, could climb to 18th Monday night if they win at home to Villa.
4: Exciting. Let's start with your Arsenal Liverpool. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
3: These are broad shoulders. This is courage. A sporting moment in time.
4: Osaka. Such boys. Such noise.
0: Game-winning moment there, serenaded by Peter Drury, accompanying himself on the piano in that clip, which I think is a nice touch. I think his words deserve that. Uh, Daniel, you were there uh, with the uh, kind of arduous uh, job of producing a match report that lived up to Peter's magnificent description there of the game-winning moment. Uh, First of all, tell us about when that penalty went in.
3: Yeah, weirdly watching the game, even though it finished 3-2 and it was on a a knife edge, and I think there were certain moments in the game that went against Liverpool, a couple of penalty decisions and Luis Diaz's injury, certainly, just at a time when he was kind of establishing himself as probably the game's best player over a period of 15, 20 minutes. And yet, I, I never really thought that Arsenal weren't going to win the game, which is probably a huge compliment in itself because I'm sure Arsenal supporters would say that it's it's, it's often felt like the complete opposite, particularly against Liverpool. There were some really interesting moments, I thought, when Liverpool equalised both times. And sometimes at the Emirates, that can cause a kind of mass deflation and sort of groans and boos and certain players being targeted for, for moans. And yet it was the opposite. There was this kind of sort of roar of... Don't worry about it. With a better team, we can beat this this Liverpool team. And and in those moments, they they were far far better. Um, I, I I was interested by Liverpool's plan of kind of chaos theory of playing four up top and trying to pin players back, but it didn't really bother Arsenal when Diaz had gone off because it just left them so much space to fly down those channels. It was it was a brilliant brilliant game and. I fully believe that Arsenal needed a win like this. If they'd have won three 0 rather than three two, I almost think it would have been less helpful. I think they needed to go through something like this, as as Conte says, they needed to suffer. And mm. yeah, and they did suffer, and they still won, and they're still top of the league. And at some point, we probably have to start taking that a bit more seriously.
0: <laughs> right. Well, what a game it was, swinging wildly from one direction to another faster than Iker Casillas' Twitter feed. On, on Sunday but uh, you say Arsenal always looked like they're going to win it so they, they started fast I mean that's what they do in the Premier League within the first minute Saka and Martinelli slicing that Liverpool back line open the New list makes it 1-1 his first goal since the opening day on the stroke of half time because Saka then goes through Liverpool's back line like butter and makes it 2-1 Firmino comes on, gets his sixth goal in seven. Brilliant goal as well. And then that penalty right at the end. Prasanna Patil says, We're Arsenal lucky, though, to win today. Saka looked offside in the first goal. Not sure about that. Penalty against Gabriel was not given. That was a big one. Thiago's foul for the penalty was really soft. Could have been Arsenal 1-Liverpool 3 in an alternate universe. What do, you, what do you think? Jay, did your phone allow you an ample enough view to, 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 to give a verdict on that?
2: Yeah, it certainly did. I think that's a little bit harsh. You could definitely argue about some of those those moments and the fairness of them and whether they were correct. I know there's been a little bit of a debate about the Gabriel handball, especially because we saw a very a slightly mm. similar handball happen in the Newcastle-Brentford game where it was very close to Dan Byrne. But I think Dan Byrne's hand was well above his head in that scenario, which is why I think that was given. Um, Rashford as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. But going back to, to Arsenal... The last time they beat Liverpool in the league was July 2020. And over the last two or three years under Mikel Arteta, every time Liverpool faced Arsenal, I think Jota scored against them. Salah's torn them apart. So for Arsenal to come away from this, and as Daniel said, for him to never think at any one point Arsenal might lose that game is a massive compliment to, to how far they've come and how and how well they played. I thought Martinelli was he pretty much destroyed Trent in that first half. And and I've seen him do that against Trent before, but the difference with Martinelli now is he's kind of got that end product that maybe he didn't have a couple of years ago. So I understand Mm. in terms of they were maybe a little bit fortunate with certain refereeing and VAR decisions, but I thought the overall performance was, was phenomenal.
0: Natalie, you liked Martinelli before it was cool. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes now now it's easy everybody he's so trendy now you know and and we, we've, we've been having an eye on him for a very long time but but yeah even even us Brazilians are constantly surprised by Martinelli and and his energy and his personality even in his celebrations the way he celebrates the goals it's it's like he's celebrating a, a World Cup winner you know and that really matters to him and I, I'm i can completely understand why Arsenal fans get behind him so much, and it's crazy to think that he may not go to the World Cup, even though he's doing such a brilliant season. Because the the competition is just so big, and Firmino is one of them. If Firmino goes, uh, Martinelli probably doesn't go, and you have Mateus wow. Cunha from Atletico de Madrid, and you have Pedro, who's been doing really well at Flamengo, and you have Martinelli. So it's it's a lot of of, of great options. But um, regarding Martinelli and Arsenal. I I think the the way Arsenal responds to adversity is what strikes me, especially with with so many young players and I'm including especially Martinelli and and Saka, because that was clear against Spurs, uh, how they were able to control the match the whole time even after the Spurs goal, and now with the way they reacted to both Liverpool goals, you know, Liverpool was pushing till the end, but in these circumstances, you put a team lacking confidence, Liverpool, against a team with a winning form, that's going to make a difference, especially with the early goal. So mm-hmm. Arsenal was absolutely brilliant, and I was surprised with with Klopp's selection because he he played exactly the same team that that faced Rangers, but Rangers is is a very different team from 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 Arsenal. And and Darwin Nunez, we we have to say that he 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 did a really good job. I spoke to him after the Champions League. Game and, and I thought it was funny how he he just sounded more confident and he scored in the Champions League and he said it's like a ketchup bottle goals for me it's like ketchup <laughs> it, if the first one comes the the rest is gonna come it, unfortunately the, right. for Liverpool fans the, the the win didn't come but the, the goal did
0: no um, but they're playing ketchup now look at them tenth in the in in the league. They're six points off the top four. They're below Fulham. They're below Bournemouth, who they beat 9-0, of course, famously. We we look to matches like this to tell us who the teams are. And we, we've been playing that game with Arsenal a little bit. But what does it tell us about Liverpool with Diaz out, with Trent out, with Rangers midweek and Man City after that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say I thought the 4 4 It's easy to say in hindsight. And as I say, the game did change in a number of instances. But it felt almost like an admission of defeat for Klopp. It felt like this was the only way we were going to play our way out of it was by being really attacking. And and I get that to an extent. What I don't get is if you're going to do that, why you still leave Mohamed Salah, who you've just given a, a huge new contract to in the summer. Um, you then leave him in a position where he, he was basically playing as a an inverted winger who didn't really come in that much and just ended up sort of just crossing the ball for Darwin Nunez or, or Firmino, which is a really... I thought that was slightly sad, as was his substitution, because he looked he looked furious when he came off. You know, managers always say, that's a good thing. I want him to be like that. But to bring him off at 2-2 and then to lose the game when they put so many eggs in that salad basket, is, mm. that is pretty worrying because it feels like they do need to get away for him to have more touch in the penalty box. I think he only had two last weekend. I think he had one, maybe two against Arsenal. That's just not good enough for a player of his quality.
0: One day we probably need to do a little thing about whether selling Salah in the summer would have been like when they sold Cochino, yeah. which enabled them to... And that was the kind of sliding doors moment. I fully Certainly. believe it, yeah. I think yeah. I think
3: selling selling a player at the height of their value at a certain age is, is still seen more by supporters than clubs, but it's seen as an admission of weakness rather than a show of strength when actually it can be a show of strength and, and smart clubs have already succession panned. And it kind of felt like Liverpool had planned that succession with buying Nunes as a central striker and going to go more central. And yet they sort of did both by keeping Salah as well. Mm.
0: jettle Dvinas says, is having Trent on the field a get out of jail card for the rest of Liverpool's bat line? However bad they're doing, all the criticism is going to be directed at Trent anyway. Case in point, Van Dijk has been playing like the worst version of Lovren so far this season part of the problem is Trent is so very visible isn't he kind of overrunning constantly like he's directed by Peter Jackson or something
2: for me it's almost become a little bit ridiculous now because no matter what Trent does in a game whether it's a whether he's scoring a free kick or or providing an assist or whether it's something he's lacking on a defensive point it just becomes some sort of massive conversation and massive debate and I kind of feel for him a little bit because all he wants to do is kind of prove himself and, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, but try and force himself into Gareth Southgate's plans. But it just becomes this massive, this massive issue anytime he does anything. And the point on Liverpool's defence is so true. You know, I think what probably summed them up is that moment at the end where um, Van Dijk and Alisson, there's just such a lack of communication when that ball goes over the top and, and it goes up for a corner. And that's the sign of a team that's that's lacking in confidence and doesn't really know what to do at the moment and just a bit disorganised. So it certainly can't, the blame certainly can't all be on on Alexander Arnold's shoulders,
1: but to be fair, uh, Van Dijk has been very criticised as well. Uh, especially before this match, there were there was a lot of talk uh, between Van Dijk and Taliba because. Saliba is doing so well and I I had Arsenal fans, friends of mine, saying, who would you buy now? If I offered you Saliba and if I offered you Van Dijk, who would you buy? And many of them were like, of course I would buy Saliba. He's younger, he has more to improve, but that wouldn't be even a conversation a couple of years ago or Mm. even last season, even if it was... Uh, Saliba playing current football and Van Dijk playing the football he played uh, a couple of seasons ago because he was just in such an outstanding form. So uh, I think the the point Jay made uh, was brilliant that the 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 lack of conversation between them is just it's 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 out there and just Liverpool needs to figure it out and and they they should have had already.
0: What you build with your hands though you knock down with your
3: backside says. Liverpool manager, Jürgen Klopp. What does does that mean? Absolutely no idea. And I normally do know what (laughs) Klopp's talking about, but I don't, I didn't. uh, um, It does feel, and it's something we've said before, that when one thing breaks in this Liverpool team, it causes this kind of mass loss of confidence where they think, well, everything's either going to go really, really well and we're flying, or really, really badly. uh, uh, And they struggle to get out of that rut. And that is, you know, that's something that Klopp has faced before. Um, it will be really interesting if this form goes on because it takes a huge effort from him if Liverpool finish 7th or 8th this season to think, yes, I'm going to go for this new age of Liverpool if that's what it takes.
0: All right. Well, Man City coming up next weekend, Rangers midweek. Arsenal, who had 46 touches in Liverpool's box. If that sounds like a lot, well, in the previous five Premier League meetings, they had only 44. So something's going on there. They've now started the season with eight wins from nine. The last team to do that and not win the title was Arsenal 15 years ago. Yeah. And the team before that, Arsenal, 2004-2005. And before that, it was Kevin Keegan's Newcastle in ninety five, ninety six. But it doesn't happen often, except if you're your Arsenal. But as you say, Daniel, at some point soon, we're going to have to ask that question. The thing is, though that with Man City in the same division, it just feels like a kind of rhetorical exercise. City, who are a point behind Arsenal still, were 4-0 winners over Southampton, becoming the first team to score at least four goals in five consecutive top-flight home games since 1963. There was lots of bants about Holland malfunctioning and only scoring one goal. Uh, He's now on 15 in the Premier League this season. 23 was enough to see you crown golden boot last season Southampton meanwhile have lost 15 of their 21 games they didn't have a shot on target but their fans did get to celebrate a corner that they won at a certain point of the game
3: The only thing I was going to say quickly on Manchester City is that Phil Foden is now the joint third top scorer in the Mm. Premier League which um, one thing the Haaland mania does is it, it kind of takes all of the spotlight onto one brilliant Manchester City player and it allows those other players, I think Grealish is benefiting it from it as well, it allows them to kind of quietly get on with their work and everyone will talk about Haaland and they'll just keep doing their thing, which which obviously involves them. The, the relationship between Foden and Haaland is, is becoming really effective almost as effective as the de Bruyne Haaland relationship you saw the the assist for each other against Manchester United last weekend you saw their movement together again here against Southampton and yeah I mean just add that to the list of things that are worrying for every other Premier League club I guess
1: <laughs> yeah and talking about the Haaland effect on other players um Cancelo he was just brilliant and and uh, we got used to the way he moves, you know, cutting to the inside. But still, his skills are so impressive and he gets more space because of Haaland as well, that he keeps getting goals and assists. And he's definitely the player that Pep speaks uh, more during the match. Every time I'm at a Man City match, I'm, I'm surprised with that because he's he's all over Cancelo during the whole match. And that shows how how instrumental he is. And we, of course, we're talking about Haaland a lot, but the, the truth is, uh, City players, they, they keep scoring a lot of goals. We have eight different players who scored uh, in the Premier League this season, besides Haaland, who scored 15 goals. Uh, you have Phil Foden with six, and then you have other seven players who scored. So it's just Man City doing Man City plus Haaland, So,
2: Fine. Just wanted to jump in on Phil Foden again, because he's now got six goals and, and three assists in, in nine appearances. And his best ever figures in the Premier League are nine goals and five assists and they were both in the last two seasons so he's on course to absolutely smash his best ever record and Haaland obviously got 15 goals Uh, the most Gabriel Jesus ever managed for Man City in the Premier League was was 14 so just thought I'd throw (laughs) that out there Right
0: Well for all Man City's brilliance Arsenal's still one point clear of them though How long can it last? Next up let's talk about Natalie's trip to Goodison Park Sunday night If you're into your tactics and football analytics and you're looking for a deeper understanding of the game, you can join me, Ali Maxwell, along with Michael Cox and the rest of the Athletics data team for our Football Tactics podcast. Find new episodes every week on
3: Apple, Spotify and all the usual places.
4: On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, smart speaker, and now ad-free on the Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson.
0: wins it back, up all Madrid mate. Ronaldo. Is this the It is Cristiano Ronaldo landmark goal. Yes, Man United 2-1 winners away at Everton on Sunday night. Natalie, you were there. You were there to see the 700th, a club goal of Cristiano Ronaldo's career. Bless.
1: Yes, uh, and he didn't start. Uh, Martial got injured in the first half, and Ronaldo showed energy and worked hard. It was it was a really stats apart. It was a really positive performance from from Ronaldo uh, in terms of body language and the way he moved on the pitch. So I think Man United fans have something to to be excited about uh, in terms of what he can offer now that Martial. I don't know the extent of his injury, but. Uh, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo showed more to be more of a part of what uh, Ten Hag and everyone is, is trying to achieve and Luke Shaw started in the back uh, after Malasia was, was subbed for two, two matches in a row. And we had Casemiro starting. And the, the way Casemiro bounced back from his mistake that originated Everton's goal, it's, it's exactly what you expect from a player at his level. You know, he's the type of player that makes the defenders look good because he predicts a lot of Uh, what's happening, what's going to happen. And he knows how to read what his defense is doing and what his defense is not doing. So this is what Casemiro does well. Plus, he has this fighting spirit that is basically what you want from a defensive midfielder. And I think he can still offer more he he was brilliant but he can still offer more because he can play even closer to the defensive line and he can show more of this leadership i was surprised actually with him playing uh closer to the box at times i don't know how comfortable he 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 was with that with him and eriksen alternating uh but in terms of the way he defends he was brilliant and i think he he can be even more decisive against teams who really will press Man united which wasn't Everton's case because they were just not good enough with the ball. They created a few chances in the end but overall they they lacked volume uh, up front and now they have Calvert-Lewin coming back from the injury so maybe this will will improve. But, but yeah, uh, good news for Man United after a couple of very weird matches.
0: <laughs> Ronaldo, that stat that was all over the place again on Sunday evening about... Ronaldo's goal tally and what Haaland would have to do to match it, to wit, if Ronaldo never scores again and Haaland plays till he's 38, he will still need to score 43 goals a season for those next 16 years just to level Cristiano's total.
3: Is that actually true?
1: Like,
0: has anyone yeah, sat it, down and worked it out? It, Cause is it sounds true. nonsense. It, yeah, is it is true. true.
3: Yeah. Uh, I mean, my 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 initial thought when looking at it was, how long will it take if Haaland scores 60 goals a season? Uh, because the rate is on, he might just do that.
0: Also on the score sheet, Anthony with his third goal in three. Natalie, you've probably been chatting to him as well.
1: Yes, no, uh, it's impressive because Anthony is only 22 and he's just so confident. I had a sit-down with him, uh, a long interview, at his place, actually, before the Manchester Derby. And curious enough, he's living in Paul Pogba's house. And, And the... Yes. No. No. But the, the funny thing is, there is PP. Uh, no, I'm gonna rephrase that. Uh, so funny thing <laughs> is. Uh... <laughs> t- right. No. We. That, that, yeah. By. His
0: initials. Sure.
1: Okay. So <laughs> his initials are everywhere in the house. So right. he still needs to to do some remodeling. But but yeah. Uh, and 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 with Anthony, it's it's interesting to see how confident he is in men united, uh, especially for the next season he mentioned several times next season our team is going to be at his best at his best and and we're going to be very competitive and the the way he presents his, himself on the pitch and the confidence he shows it's it, it really justifies why he he's he's been scoring so much he really believes in the, in the project and the fact that he knows Ten Hag so well makes him believe even more uh on everything that's happening at Man United even though they 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 were poor this week before the the Everton match.
0: Mm. Tell us more about uh, Pogba's house, though. Mm. Did you have through the keyhole or similar in, on Brazilian t- TV? Can you can you take us into?
1: Okay, you know, so so mm. there is the pool table with mm. big Paul Pogba initials and the, uh-huh. the the chandeliers. They're they're very well. He's a very extravagant guy, apparently, because he has like the stairways that are shiny. I've never seen shiny stairways. <laughs> like (laughs) yeah with with things that imitate like diamonds you know
2: Ah. on the stairways
1: on the stairways yes exactly so so yeah that was that was quite impressive but that's that's pretty much uh the things that i that i got to see you didn't get the
0: full no no no, i
1: didn't get the full tour but oh and and he has like a small football court covered uh-huh. Uh yeah, that's really nice. But I was I was more impressed with the stairways to be honest. <laughs> okay,
0: did he, were there any statues of himself?
1: No, there weren't. But there were paintings of big, uh, like historical black figures. Uh, black, okay. Uh, yeah. So so that was really cool. And and yes, his initials everywhere, basically.
0: Well then, Man United a point behind Chelsea. Looming ominously on the on the edge of the top four, but then kind of over their shoulders, you've got Newcastle United, who they will be facing next week, and who had a mighty win this weekend. And look at this, Jay, you were at that game.
2: Yeah, I was, and I think first of all, Brentford didn't do themselves any justice. Um, lots of individual mistakes. Uh, David Reyes passed it straight to Callum Wilson for one goal. Ethan Pinnock passed it straight to Miguel Almoron for another of Newcastle's goals. So as good as Newcastle were, Brentford definitely handed it to them on a plate. But having said that, Bruno Gamaris is, I don't think it's a secret, but he is just a player on another level. Um, and my first thoughts when I'm kind of like recording the game are not even about the goals he scored. Um, it's actually just about what he does when he's on the ball. Because, you know, you see, see defenders try and muscle him off the ball. You know, he just powers past them. You see people try and beat him for speed. But he's quicker than you expect. His passing range is absolutely exceptional. He's such a quality player. And, and the same goes for Kieran Trippier. This was actually the first time I'd ever seen Kieran Trippier live in the flesh. And I just have such a, a better appreciation for him as a footballer now for what he does off the ball, as much as he, he does on the ball with his set pieces and things like that. There was a moment in the game where he barged Ivan Tony off the ball and then just carried the ball and, and made a pass. And obviously if you put Trippier and Ivan Tony next to each other, You'd never think that Trippier would win that physical battle, so I was just really impressed by, by kind of um, just just the way Newcastle played. I think St James's Park, it, it's always been a tricky ground to go to, but it's, it's definitely got, got to be up there as one of the hardest away days now. And then um, the the fans obviously unveiled this really strange banner ahead of kickoff um, of the Sky Sports News L shape. Uh, I've got a photo of it on my Twitter. If you've not seen it, mm, but it was uh, yeah. it was uh, to commemorate one year. Have you not seen it, Daniel?
3: Yeah, I have. I'm frowning because I'm frowning.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, <it's>, uh, <laughs> yeah. So but the banner was to commemorate one year since the takeover and so it basically had yeah, mocked Sky Sports News is, is L shape and it had photos of um Amanda Stavely, Murder Goodussi, and a few quotes and comments from from reporters at the time criticising the, the, the takeover and stuff like that. So that was um quite quite a strange moment to watch that.
0: Okay, but the atmosphere must have been pretty amazing, as you say. Twelve months since the takeover was confirmed, so it seemed to be a pretty, a pretty wild atmosphere.
2: Yeah, no, no, it was, and and strangely enough, Brentford played Newcastle in Eddie Howe's first game a year ago. Although Eddie Howe oh. had COVID, so he he wasn't on the bench, but certainly that day there was a you know real raucous atmosphere, and it was the exact same today. It was just a, it was just a party in the stands. Um, you know, five one never looked like. Brentford were really going to threaten them, apart from a ten-minute period when they when they made it two-one. Um, but yeah, the the atmosphere there is 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 crazy. It's uh, going to be a very intimidating place for other teams to go this season.
4: Mm.
0: Two hundred and ten million pounds they spent on transfers in the intervening year with Bruno Gimareche the the biggest signing. Is he going to get to go to the World Cup, Natalie?
1: Oh yes, definitely. Uh, there are a lot of question marks in defense, especially in attack. But the midfield is is pretty much settled with uh, Casemiro, Fabinho, Fred, Bruno Guimarães, Lucas Paquetá, and and Felipe Coutinho. But it's, it's, it really impresses us uh, the way Bruno Guimarães developed and, and he he earned a lot of space in the national team and the way he developed into this very sophisticated uh, midfielder because what he offers and, and the way he moves and the, actually, especially the way he sees the game and, and the way he sees uh, the, the players up front moving. He's just so clever. And when you when you speak to him, and you always hear from players, oh, I just feel at home here, blah blah blah. He really feels at home, at like he's he's so happy in Newcastle uh, because he wasn't expecting to to have this reception from the fans from the start. I remember going to St James Park after two months he was there, and they already have like they already had like a giant flag with his face, and so he wasn't expecting all of this, and he feels so embraced and so welcome, and that shows on the pitch because he's just really comfortable doing his thing and Newcastle is is benefiting from that and, and Eddie Howe knows how to how to take the, the best um, out of Bruno Guimarães so it's it's just a success and he's just in an European level. We talk so much about Newcastle's project, if they're going to play in Europe he's an European player.
0: Hmm. Are they going to be in the Champions League next
2: season do you think? I don't think they'll be in the Champions League but Watching them on Saturday just I, I came away thinking it's a matter of when, not if they eventually, you know, are, are challenging at the top of the table just because as as myself and Natalie have mentioned, Bruno gimarash is just such a quality player. You've got Kieran Trippier, you've got you've got Sven Bottman, you've got Alexander Isek, they've kind of got all those pieces to just keep going up and up and up. So I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe hovered around sixth seventh this season. Okay. They've got to be considered maybe the best of the rest at this point.
0: Huh. Probably worth uh, flagging up as well that it's not just the players they brought in. Yeah. Eddie Eddie Howe has also transformed well, Miguel Almirón. Mm. What what a, what a season he's having!
3: Yeah. And this was always there. This was always in the locker. It, it was just waiting for someone to bring it out. I thought watching the highlights of of this one, the player who impressed me, who had been kind of pilloried at Newcastle over over his time there, was Jacob Murphy, who was probably. I'm not sure we'd have gotten a second Newcastle eleven at the start of last season, or if everyone was fit, and if they were intending to bring in the players they have. And yet it does feel like a squad where when anyone is missing and someone has to come in, they immediately hit the ground running. I mean, literally in in Murphy's case, because he drives them deep and he he kind of pushes players back. And he he seems to have some end product that we just haven't seen before at Newcastle. So yeah, it, it, it feels like a squad that... It looks better than it is. And that's down to Eddie Howe, because every player that comes in, everyone, every backup player is is primed, ready to try and take the place of the person they're replacing. And there's not many squads in the Premier League that, that can do that without the squad depth that Newcastle have, because it's not a deep squad yet. It really isn't. It's just that it, it feels that way because everyone stepping in makes a difference.
1: And it's funny you mentioned Almiron, James, because I was I was watching the highlights from that game and, and remembering uh, when Almiron arrived, uh, I remember Newcastle putting him to, to do interviews because he was so shy and you would go and interview him and he wouldn't speak English. So I would speak in, in, in Spanish with him and he would just, his voice was... Really, you you could barely hear him, and he would stare at the floor. And now you see this confident player on the pitch, just trying things. And his interviews got better, you know. So it's it's just a whole. He was very shy on the pitch and off the pitch, and he transformed into a, a very a very important player from for Newcastle. Well,
0: yep, for all the other bits about their whole structure now. A uh, pretty likeable team on the field. They've scored four, at least four goals now in back to back Premier League games against Fulham and Brentford, handing Brentford their biggest defeat of their brief Premier League history. And as I say, they visit Man United next week, which will be interesting. Hmm. Brentford licking their wounds as they returned home, the long journey back to London, where they can meet up with Romeo Beckham. I see, Jay. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, um, Romeo Beckham, son of obviously England icon and legend, that is David Beckham, has just been training with the B team at the moment. But from what I understand, there's no kind of sense or expectation that he might join them permanently. I think Inter Miami's season is, is over at the moment. So I think it's just a case of him, you know, potentially being in, in England for some holidays and just making sure that he keeps his fitness up at the same time. But having okay. said that, what, what a story it would be if, and it's a big if, something developed further down the line.
0: Right, a la Christian Eriksen, perhaps. Yes, exactly. A brief spell before MLS starts up again next time around. But should, Just I, saying. I, I you should know.
2: also add, Brentford's B team now has Max Dickhoff, who's the son of Paul Dickhoff, Kairis Lisby, who's the son of Kevin Lisby, and now Romeo Beckham's training with them. So they're clearly assembling some type of all-star sons of famous footballers' team down there.
0: Very good. Uh, next up, oh, we'll talk about Chelsea... And, ooh, Spurs and loads of other things as well. And that Euro draw, perhaps.
3: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
4: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Totally Football
0: Show European Edition is out on Tuesday, early Tuesday this week. Excitingly enough, we've got Champions League match day four to look forward to. De Classica in Germany, Xavi Lonzo's debut as Bayer Leverkusen manager. PSG dropping points in France, Milan-Juve in Italy. And we'll probably talk about the Euro draw as well. Did you see that? England getting Italy again. Uh, also, Ukraine, North Macedonia. So, North Macedonia and Italy back in the same group. Of course, it was North Macedonia whose astonishing 1 0 win down in Palermo stopped Italy going to the playoff to get to the World Cup, and Malta in that group as well. Huh. England's toughest qualifying group in years and years and years and years, Daniel, they're saying.
3: Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, that should be caveated by the fact that two teams qualify automatically, and third get uh, a, a playoff. Um, but yes, it is tough, and I kind of welcome that. Although, although the familiarity of the opponents is is slightly, slightly annoying. You know, obviously they played Italy in the Nations League as well. They played Ukraine at the Euros. Um, they played Malta fairly recently, so that that's slightly annoying as a kind of follower. But yeah, they should they should at least finish second in that group. Which and there is a you know there is an incentive to top it given the seedings for the Euro you know, the actual Euro to 2024 groups as well. So, yes, I think they will be looking to gain some revenge on Italy for one way or another, given how things have gone over the last couple of years.
0: As they were the other day, Uh, uh, of course. Uh, England in a tough group because they got relegated in the Nations League and that's why they weren't in the the top pot. Uh, It it does feel a bit strange having uh, the Euros now to think about when we've still got the Nations League to finish off, that won't be till next summer, and, of course, the World Cup, so... (laughs) Feels like we're getting backed up a bit on our international tournaments. Meantime, uh, just to say, Scotland are in a group with Spain, Norway, Georgia and Cyprus. Ireland, Republic of, are with Netherlands and France, Greece and Gibraltar. Wales get Croatia, Armenia, Turkey and Latvia. And Denmark are with Finland, Slovenia, Kazakhstan, Northern Ireland and San Marino. Blimey, lucky Danes. World Cup before all of that Natalie who are Brazil most worried about is it a is it Argentina is it a European side if so which one
1: Uh, I think Argentina definitely not only for the rivalry but because of their results, and they've been doing uh, a really, really good job there. Uh, France, because of the, the individual quality. You never really know what you're getting from France, but it's 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 out of question how many high-quality players they have. And Spain, there's been a lot of talk about Spain and, and their identity mm. and their and, and the, the job that they've been doing there as well.
0: All right, but that, that's all very polite and, and, and respectful, Natalie. <laughs> but uh, let me put it this way then. How worried should the rest of the world be about Brazil.
1: Okay, so I don't mean to brag, but we're very confident. <laughs> no, no, honestly, uh, we've been playing well. Neymar's having a brilliant season. Everything is gelling in the team. Uh, they believe in the manager. There's a lot of positivity around the Brazil the Brazilian camp. So that's that's all I'm going to say. Every like there there's an optimism uh uh, with with the Brazilians regarding this World Cup,
0: yes. you did say earlier on though that there are questions about defense, and did I hear you say goalkeeper? That can't be right.
1: No, 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 goalkeeper, goalkeeper, no, not def, no, right. definitely not. But yeah, in defense, it's probably the fourth option. Who's gonna be? Uh, it's more likely to be Gabriel Magalhães for, from Arsenal because the, the other three are pretty much set, uh, settled uh, with Éder Militão, Thiago Silva and Marquinhos. And they, they, they've they been playing for Brazil for a, for a very long time. And up front, I'm going to say the names who are definitely going to the World Cup. Neymar, Vinicius Jr., uh, Rafinha, Anthony and Rodrigo, uh, Rodrigo, who uh, plays for Real Madrid, and uh, Gabriel Jesus. And Richarlison. So these are the names that are 100% confirmed. We would be very surprised if they don't go. And then you have Mateus Cunha, Firmino, Pedro, and Martinelli fighting for a spot, basically. So.
0: My word. All right. Was it six weeks to go now?
1: Not, think, not that so. we're counting, but yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. Oh, quick shout for the Lionesses who handed world champions USA their first defeat in 22 matches on Friday night in front of a massive 76,000 fans at Wembley. Uh, That was the fastest-selling England game ever at the new Wembley. Men's or women's? Extraordinary. England yet to lose under Serena Wiegmann. They won 21 of their 23 matches and scored 120 goals in the process. Remarkable. Uh, That match uh, and, of course, the extraordinary situation regarding the playoffs for the World Cup will be featured heavily in the Athletic Women's Football podcast, which is out on Tuesday. Excellent. All right, back to the Premier League. Chelsea, who have a trip to San Siro on Tuesday to face Milan, who they beat 3-0 last uh, midweek. This weekend, putting three goals past, Wolves. Anyone catch this? Uh, I really enjoyed uh, Diego Costa doing a lap of honour mid-game with his side 2-0 down. And nobody really minded because it was Diego Costa.
3: Yeah, I, I I watched this game on Saturday afternoon and it's, there were absolutely no redeeming features from Wolves. Chelsea were not very good. Chelsea does not have to be very good. There was just nothing from Wolves. And it's amazing how quickly you can look at a team that you thought, you know, Wolves spent £120 million in the summer and just not really know what anyone's trying to do. Goncalo Guedes was, was taken off at half-time after producing one of the worst half performances I've seen in a long time. He was brought off a, an academy kid off the bench. Mateus Nunes is trying to do things, but is, is sort of acting as a one-man midfield because Martinho's mobility isn't brilliant. Uh, and they've got huge defensive problems and they're starting Diego Costa up front, who may well have been a, brilliant player once but was basically only fit enough to play 10 or 15 minutes a week ago and is now starting Premier League games which doesn't set a huge confidence boost to to Huang on the bench I just don't know how they sort this unless unless they manage to hang on till January or Lopetegui manages to somehow kind of transform the mood very very quickly but yeah it doesn't look good Hmm.
0: when are we expecting Yulin Lopetegui to be confirmed as Wolves manager
3: well, it has slightly dragged on, hasn't it? And it felt like beginning of last week, it was almost confirmed. And they were waiting to get a trip to Stamford Bridge out of the way. And if that not be his first game, that would be a perfectly reasonable thing to do. And I don't think there's any you know, suggestion that there's any issues with it. But yeah, they need to get him in quickly and get him working with that squad quickly because everyone just looks a bit half broken at the moment.
1: Just how Potter is is rotating the team really well because he didn't play Abou Young and, and Sterling and they they managed to to get a result, a brilliant goal from Pulisic the second one. But the the, the Diego Costa factor is is always big, you know. Uh, after the match, he gave an interview to ESPN Brazil to my colleague to João, and he was just thanking the fans and and saying how how he felt appreciated at Stamford Bridge. And then he was asked, oh, okay, so but uh, you you left here in like weird terms after an argument. And he said, no, no, no. And I quote, it wasn't with the fans. It was with the manager. What's his name again? Conte. Yes, with Conte. And I was watching it over and over again, thinking, is he being ironic? And and he wasn't. He actually forgot Conte's name. So so that's Diego Costa for you. He's 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 quite a character. He forgot the name of the of the manager who basically sacked him from, from Chelsea. Wow.
2: Sounds like when um you know someone goes for a bad breakup and they just try to completely block out that it ever happened. Jay,
0: do you want to talk about it?
2: <laughs> yeah, you're right, mate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, there you go. Diego Costa uh, and Chelsea. Antonio Conte, meanwhile, was with Spurs down at Brighton on a very difficult weekend following the the sudden death of Giampiero Ventrone, which is a real shock. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody even knew uh, outside kind of the immediate circle that he even had leukemia. And then to, for him to die so suddenly at, at such a young age and... Well, we were talking about this on Sunday night in our Serie A coverage on, on BT. The, the massive impact that guy had. I know he was known as the fitness coach at Spurs and a really nice guy, but fitness coach at Spurs. But his impact in Italy was so huge. He, he basically came in with Lippi uh, in the mid-90s when, when Juve had really been in the doldrums and turned them into this machine that effectively terrorised Europe for a, sort of four or five years. They only won one Champions League, but they were in the final every single year. And they were just, I mean, there are various questions. I don't know what Ajax say about the '96 final, which Juve won. But they were, whatever else was going on, uh, they were incredibly fit, incredibly well-drilled. They had incredible mentality, that Juve side. And it's interesting that 10 years after that, uh, when Italy went to the World Cup in Germany, who did Lippi bring in as his uh, preparatore atletico? It was uh, Giampiero Ventroni. boom italy probably not the most technically gifted side although they were pretty good of that world cup but but in the heads there they were anyway uh, a huge loss and, and uh, obviously something that had a huge impact on on spurs and harry kane and antonio conte and and, and son i think as well and i'm sure all of the players there uh, i'm not sure if that played a part in in their in their performance on on saturday but a 1-0 win uh any any comments on this we we build it as being potentially the most interesting game of the weekend on Thursday not sure if we we'd give it that tagline now what did you what did you think anyone
3: well i thought what was really interesting is that conte went for he sort of changed the 3-4-3 to a 3-5-2 and i mean ostensibly took out an attacker for a central midfielder which feels like a more defensive move in a team where the fans were saying this is a little bit too defensive Actually, what it meant is that Rodrigo Bentancourt pushed really high at the pitch when Tottenham didn't have the ball and they, they tried to do, be much more high-pressing rather than soaking up pressure and playing on the counter. They basically ripped up the rule book and tried to play a completely different way and it wasn't wholly successful. Brighton did were able to kind of get out of that press quite, quite a few times and created some chances and Danny Welbeck should have scored. But, I mean, they won away at Brighton, so it's a successful start of that. I wonder if this is another... Antonio Conte mid-Premier League, change of formation, I've accepted things aren't working, so this is the way we're going to do it now, a la the, the Chelsea 16-17 season.
1: There were the, the changes with, with Bissouma and, and Doherty playing, and it, it wasn't a great performance from Spurs, but I don't know how much we can actually take from it, given that it this emotional, and they were all very emotional, but it is it i was thinking about it is it a matter of us adjusting our expectations with spurs and and their level of performance because are we ever going to get the, the free-flowing football or, or are we getting results and sometimes goals? Because I, I'm not sure anymore if we're going to get both and, and if they, they keep finding ways to win. To to which extent is this a bad thing? You know, I was just questioning myself because I wanted them to play different because of the high-quality players they have, but they are a Conte team in essence. They're competitive, they are organized, and they're getting results. So should we be adjusting our expectations regarding sports?
0: Course. Brighton, meanwhile, who were a bit polite once again, you kind of want them to get to get to the point a bit. Uh, Daniel, you did a measurement of your x g minus your actual g. 439 players. Where does Danny Welbeck rank in this? 437th. Who are the two players worse than him, by the Uh, way? So,
3: Sully March, who was also a Brighton player, is 438. And Joe Willock is 439. He's had an awful lot. I mean, should explain, that measurement basically just means how many goals... Looking at the quality of chances they've had, how much are they underperforming the quality of those chances? So they've had very good chances and missed them. And Welbeck is the worst striker on that list, which and it's 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 more of a judge of strikers normally than any other position. Right. Um, yeah. The other thing we should say about Brighton in really sad news this morning is that Enoch Muepu, uh, their central midfielder, has had to retire because they've discovered a hereditary heart condition. Uh, so he's retiring with immediate effect, which is horrendous oh, news my for. Uh, you know, a Premier League re- regular, a player who 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 was brilliant coming into the team last season and really starred in the second half of the Premier League season, and and was a fool's Zambian international. But yeah, retiring with immediate effect, which is which is awful.
0: Wow, I mean, I'm delighted they were able to to discover yes, it, but that's, that's true he- hideous yes. news. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll move on. Very best wishes to well both teams. I think at this point, uh, let's have a chat next about the other games which took place.
4: you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to that own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash totally. That's ind double dot com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at indeed.com. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pearce, Ollie Kaye and the very best football writers around.
0: Yeah, elsewhere in the Premier League, West Ham got their third straight win. Fifth win in sixth, actually, for the Hammers. That was against Fulham. Palace came from behind to beat Leeds. Leicester lost again. That's their fifth defeat in sixth. Uh, 2-1 at Bournemouth, it was. Uh, Bournemouth, who are still unbeaten under Gary O'Neill. Lots to lots to talk about from this game, perhaps, not least the fact that it looks like uh, the the takeover is going ahead at the Vitality Stadium with the Las Vegas billionaire, excitingly, Bill Foley, completing a £150 million takeover. Uh, so five games unbeaten now since they got pumped 9-0. And you recall Scott Parker went in front of the... The microphones had said, yeah, there's no way that this group of players can compete at this level. And 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 look at that. Only Man City, Arsenal and Spurs have picked up more points in that time. Yikes. Not for me to draw conclusions.
3: No, it's the ultimate piece of selfless man management, isn't it? Like, I, I will motivate you to be better, but I will not be around here to see it.
0: As for Leicester, so much for their recovery uh, that uh, many had hailed after they'd beaten Forest on, on Monday night. They went 1-0 up. And then Billing equalised and Ryan Christie with his first ever Premier League goal made it 2-1. Yikes. Uh, They could be back on the bottom, the Foxes, come this Monday night if Forrest win against Villa. Daniel's kind of mm, humming and hawing and not wishing to contemplate that possibility. Forrest, a lot of people were expecting them to make that announcement about their manager this week, Daniel. And they did make an announcement, but it wasn't the one that many people were anticipating.
3: Yeah, I, I kind of rank my emotions as delighted, surprised and confused in that order. Um, it, 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 I mean, from what it sounds like, I mean, there's a huge amount of noise behind the scenes at Nottingham Forest at the moment. There's a, there's a, you know, if you're wanting to be harsh to our centre back, you'd say that there's, there's there's too many cooks off the pitch and on. Um, but we are in a situation at the moment where it sounds like there was a, a kind of, I don't know, a big tete-a-tete with everyone where they thrashed everything out and it was decided that they should keep faith in Steve Cooper rather than uh, looking for managers. As I understand it, they had seriously considered, you know, they'd gone down some way down the road of seriously considering replacing Cooper. I think the fan reaction made a huge difference. They continued to sing his name against Leicester. He's a very popular man for obvious reasons. They also suspect those supporters that... He's probably covered up a, a multitude of conflicting opinions behind the scenes that have have have, you know, sadly have come to the surface over the summer and at the start of the season. So I, I mean I wouldn't necessarily say that in three weeks' time <laughs> there are still people at that clever that we think will be there that won't be there then because who knows with Forrest and, and it, it obviously has to reply, rely on league form as well. They need to win a game soon.
0: Mm. Yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? All
3: right, is the <laughs> yeah, next I opportunity on agree. Monday.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, what about Crystal Palace and uh, what was only their second Premier League win of the season, two-one against Leeds, and West Ham and that three-one over Fulham, Natalie?
1: Yeah, a lot of things happened there that that made Marco Silva uh, very unhappy with. Uh, decisions. Skamaka's goal was a weird one because he didn't even celebrate, and the VAR couldn't find conclusive evidence of of the handball. And the penalty from Andreas was just was very immature from him. But even so, Marcos was losing it, absolutely losing it. And and Antonio's goal with with the handball at the play, and it was all very frustrating from from Fulham's perspective. But it was actually the first time since January West Ham won back-to-back Premier League games, which was something that, that I, I thought was very surprising and, and positives for, for West Ham. Apart from all the VAR discussion and everything, uh, it was Paquetá's best game so far. Uh, he he did really well and and I had a sit down with him last week uh, at the club and and he said some very (laughs) why are you guys doing this this sounds like I mean
0: your social diary Natalie is (laughs) a (laughs) massive. (laughs) (laughs) massive it's it's like speed dating
1: yeah Yeah, it's (laughs) like speed dating Natalie. you sit
0: there and they file past I think is it
1: uh, there are a lot of Brazilians in the Premier League you know they keep us busy right. so I've, I've, I've been working a lot and, and it's it's the the World Cup is like six weeks away so they, that's they true want who, who to are talk. you talking to this yes. week Natalie uh, you know this this week's a quiet one actually I was supposed to talk to Richarlison but it's my birthday so the the other reporter is doing is doing that today
0: Natalie
1: no 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 it's it's uh, no it's a Thursday Thursday so I was supposed Thursday. to do okay, Richarlison on well. Thursday yes Okay. But anyway, wow. pa- back to Paketai. Not my birthday. Yep. Uh, he uh, <laughs> he 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 feels much more adapted in, in terms of physicality, and he sa- said something about the training that when he he first arrived, he was like, "God, these training sessions are very long," and now he's okay. So two hours, I'm fine. I'm feeling okay. He he's dealing much better with it, and he's supposed to be playing next to the box because with the national team he plays in different roles, and that's very good for West Ham because he can play more defensive. Role like defensive midfielder, he can play wider. And but David Moyes told him, okay, just approach the, 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 the front players and approach the attackers, and um. And he's been doing this really well. And he did this really well uh, against Fulham as well. But he's very anxious about uh, scoring because he he gave an assist in, in this match. But he really wants to score. And in Brazil, his celebration is very famous. It's like a, a little dance. I know all, all Latins, they dance and a lot of people don't like it. But we completely embrace it. And actually, the West Ham players were asking him, like, Can you teach us the dance? So I'm very much looking forward to the moment where he's just teaching the dance to the the Western players.
0: Brilliant. Excellent. All right. Uh, The other game that took place at the weekend was Palace going behind at home to Leeds, but roaring back for their second Premier League win of the season. Uh, The winner scored a wonderful goal by Eberici Eze. Mm.
3: Yeah, I think Leeds are in a bit of a pickle at the moment. They... Jesse Marsh after the game was saying we deserve more than two points in my last five games and kind of agree to disagree on that. But the the, the fact is that Leeds are bad at certain things and they seem to be repeatedly exposing those flaws. So, for example, they concede loads of goal from set pieces and yet you constantly see like central defenders just steaming out wide and committing fouls, which then means, as in this game, Liam Cooper commits a foul, free kick comes into the box, they don't mark properly and they concede. And you can't afford to do those things when... You know, Patrick Bamford's still rusty they're not scoring that many goals yeah, things have just taken a, a downturn that that win against Chelsea feels a long time ago put it that way
0: Well that was the Premier League weekend we've got Champions League, Europa League and Europa Conference League on the way in the next few days Natalie, you've got a quiet week and then your birthday hopefully you'll be getting some packet for that, that's on Thursday at N'Gedra. Uh what are you up to Daniel this week?
3: I'm going on holiday on Thursday for a week what? to the Hours of Silly, which Oof. I'm looking forward to. My kind of pre-World Cup week off before five weeks in Doha.
0: Brilliant. Excellent. And uh, Jay, what have you got up on The Athletic?
2: A couple of weeks ago, I have to mention, finally tracked down after several weeks of searching, Conor uh, Maseko, who is better known as that goalkeeper who was sent off in a FA Cup qualifying match for urinating in a bush. I'd have to say mm. fair play to him because he's taking it uh, in his stride. In, I'm sure there's a pun that someone can work into there better than I can. But he, he was he was really up for laughing about it. Um, but what 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 struck me the most is that he said there was not a single point um, I thought I'd get sent off. He was like I thought the mm. most I might get is a yellow card for time wasting. But for context, the board gone out for a goal kick, um, and there was, there's maybe a patch of bushes twenty yards behind his goal. So this is non-league. There's no ball boys, so he had to run and go and collect the ball. And uh, there's actually footage of this. You can see him kind of do a little peek over both shoulders, decide decides to to do his business in the in the bush, and then right. um, he gets stitched up by the opposition players, who uh, all point it out to the referee and the linesman. And then they all they all wait for him to finish. He bowls over, and the referee sends him off. Um, and the official reason. Um, In the referee's report was for inappropriate or offensive behaviour. But then Conor Maseko told me that the referee told him, oh, if you'd asked, I wouldn't have sent you off. So a a, a perfect non-league story for you. It's got a little bit of everything.
0: I needed to go for most of the game, Conor told Jay. I forgot to go at half time because I was so involved with the team talk and I didn't want to step away. I can just imagine how hellish that must have been for him shifting uncomfortably from one foot to another between
2: the posts through that second uh, half. And, and, and that's the point I made to him because it was a big FA Cup qualify, you know, at that level to get to progress quite far in the FA Cup qualifying and have any type of hope of getting to the main draw is huge. Um, and mm. they were playing a team, um, Shepton Mallet, who I think had won seven games in a row so i said do you think that was just an element of that pressure and almost you were concentrating for so much in the game you almost Mm. needed a minute to do your business and almost calm down and he said i hadn't thought of it like that but that very much could have been the case i was just Mm. concentrating so much on playing well and um and his manager said had you not been sent off you probably would have been the man of the match so but they 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 drew that game nil nil but then they they lost the replay unfortunately
0: Mm. do
1: you guys remember when ronaldo fenomeno did it but he, he did it, yeah, he did it with the ball. He placed the ball. He sat on the, on the pitch and placed the ball. And just, we just had a laugh about it. No, no one got a card or anything. Come yeah. on.
0: <laughs> Mind you, he was uh, Juan Arginho, phenomenal. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. That was uh, Blackfield and Langley's number one, getting booked for his number one. <laughs> and uh, our second PP story of the day. So there you go. <laughs> We'll wrap it up there for this Totally Football show. Many, many thanks to Jay, Natalie and Daniel, producer Charlie, and you, listener, you. We're back on Thursday with our reaction to all the uh, midweek stuff, which, of course, we'll be previewing, as I say, early Tuesday with James, Jules, Rafa and Alvaro. So, anyway, uh, do uh, drop in on us uh, whenever you fancy and uh, have a great time in the meanwhile.
4: Cheerio. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on The Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.